Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. It's good to see everybody this morning. Joe, appreciate the uh, prayer on my behalf. And Rick, thank you for the reading. That was an excellent reading. Who would you say your role models are? Who are the people that you look up to? Whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, they're probably people that you try to live your life like. I know for me, there are different areas of my life where I have role models. There are engineers that I aspire to be like, preachers that I try to emulate. There are different people that I see as being some sort of future version of myself that I try to be like. I wonder who your role models are. You know, if we were to take uh, lists of everybody's role models in this room, we would probably get a, a whole bunch of different people. And there may not be a whole lot of overlap, but I'm, I'm sure there's probably one name that we would find on everybody's list, and that's Jesus. Presumably, everybody is here this morning because they want to be like Jesus. Every one of us wants to be like Jesus. But of course, that's easier said than done. Telling somebody to be more like Jesus is like telling somebody to be healthier. You know, if, if you wanted to actually be helpful advice, you probably need to be more specific than that. That's why the elders have started this series that we're beginning today called Like Jesus, where we're going to talk about specific ways that we each can become more like Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to start with serving like Jesus. And to do that, we're going to talk at some length about the time that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And we read about this in John chapter 13. Now, by the, by the time his last Passover came, Jesus had been teaching his disciples for quite some time. They had gone with him uh, everywhere. They had followed him whenever he called them. They walked with him from town to town as he went preaching and healing. When he was preaching to the masses, they were, his disciples were out among the crowd, helping whatever, with whatever need there was. They crossed the Sea of Galilee by boat with Jesus over and over again. And recently, before this last Passover, they went on a hundred-mile trek from Caesarea Philippi, north of Galilee, all the way down south to Jerusalem and Judea. They had gone with him everywhere. And through all of this, Jesus had loved them. Jesus had patiently explained to them when they didn't understand something that he taught. Jesus lifted them back up when they failed him. He even empowered them to perform amazing miracles. Every step of this time they had together, Jesus loved his disciples. But as we get to John 13, as we get to his last Passover in Jerusalem, Jesus knows that his time with his disciples is about to end. He knows that his time here is short. When he arrived in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, he knew that he was going to be dying soon. John writes in verse 1 of chapter 13, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that it was his time to die. And of course, this was totally avoidable. 
If Jesus would just stop making the claims that he was making, if he would stop saying the kinds of things that he was saying, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have gladly left Jesus alone. But Jesus had a purpose to fulfill. This was not a man trying to avoid his fate. And so he accepted the fact that he was going to die. But even though he's accepted this, even so, as he's come to the end of his life, he has concern for his disciples and what's going to happen to them after he leaves them. He has loved them dearly, and he wants to make sure that they'll be okay whenever he's gone. You know, whenever George Washington was nearing the end of his presidency, he was concerned about some of the things that he was seeing among the people in the United States. He started to see that people were becoming less united than they once were. And so he wrote a farewell address to the people as he was retiring from office because he was concerned. He wrote to the American people warning them of the danger of being divided by our politics, a warning that we would do well to listen to today. But he wrote that because he was concerned. He was leaving and he was concerned for the people that he loved. And similarly, when Jesus was coming to the end of his life, he had concern for his disciples. And so he wanted to take one last time to have a good conversation with them. And that's recorded in John. It's sometimes called the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. And he started off this conversation by doing something that shocked his disciples. We read about it in, starting in verse 2. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew it was time. Judas would soon betray him, and Jesus would soon go back to the Father. So he got up from the table where they had been enjoying this uh, Passover feast together. He got up from the table, and he took off his outer clothing. Now, from the very start, that would have made, his, uh, made everybody in the room feel uncomfortable. The fact that the guest of honor at this banquet that they're throwing here, this, 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 uh, this sort of social event that was uh, a very kind of fine dining type sort of experience, that the guest of honor would take off his outer clothing in this instance would have made them feel uncomfortable right off the bat. But he had to take off his outer clothing because he was going to engage in a task that was going to get him dirty. You know, you don't wear a suit while you're mowing the grass, and you don't wear, in this time, your outer garments while you wash people's feet. At that time, the outer garment was something that they would take off for this sort of work. And so he took a basin full of water, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and began washing his disciples' feet. And they would have been seated on pillows with their feet facing behind them. And so Jesus would have walked around the outside of the table, going from person to person, standing or kneeling behind them with a basin of water, with a towel wrapped around his waist, and washing their feet. And at that time, 
It was expected for the host to provide a servant to wash the feet of the guests at a banquet like this, but evidently this wasn't done. And it wasn't something the disciples were willing to do. Rabbis at this time wrote that even the disciples of a rabbi were too good to wash another's feet. So they wouldn't want to do this. But it was an important aspect of hygiene and of hospitality at this time. It was something that needed to be done. You know, most people walked around Palestine in, in sandals. And Palestine is a very dry, dirty place. So you're walking around all day with your toes exposed and your feet get really dirty. Not to mention the disciples just a few days ago had gone on this 100-mile trek. you got to imagine that their feet are in pretty bad condition at this point. Their feet would have been rough, to say the least. Have you ever... Uh, have you ever been embarrassed whenever you go to some social event at someone's house and you see that everybody's leaving their, their shoes at the door and you have this moment of panic, like, oh no, I have to take off my shoes and my socks aren't matching. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of thing before, but you know, I've experienced that. I've, I've gone, you know, I'm like, oh no, I have to take off my shoes and I have to hide my feet all night because you know, it's not noticeable with my shoes on, but you know, yellow and green are pretty different. People are going to notice that. Or for me, a worse situation happens... Um, because I have, I have rougher feet than the average person, which means that I, I wear through socks uh, pretty quickly. Uh, so I often have holes in my socks. And uh, so when I go to a person's house, I'm always a little bit nervous that I'm going to have to take off my shoes and expose the fact that I have holes all over my socks. But maybe a, a more common experience is just the being nervous about taking off your shoes and your feet stinking, everybody smelling that. You know, I've, I've experienced all this sort of thing. It can be embarrassing. And I imagine the disciples felt something like that, but even more so. Because who knows, you know, what all is in the streets of Jerusalem. Who knows what all they've got on their feet. And Jesus is the one who's going to be washing their feet. You know, they might not have minded it if it was some servant that they didn't even know washing their feet. But this was Jesus. This was Jesus who was going to wash their feet. You know, if anybody should be doing it, it should potentially be a house servant. And if not a house servant, then maybe one of the disciples, although they would have been humiliated by the act. But in no universe would it be acceptable for Jesus to wash their feet. And that's why Peter objected. As Jesus is going from disciple to disciple, John notes... Starting in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. You know, Peter, obviously taking offense to what Jesus is doing here, questions him. You know, it's hard to blame Jesus for this. It would have been very embarrassing to let Jesus wash your feet. I mean, imagine that you had some sort of distinguished politician over for dinner at your house. And they, they went to the bathroom and then they started cleaning your toilet because they saw that it was a little dirty. I mean, you'd be really embarrassed to, to see them doing that. And that's how Peter felt, except even more so. And that's why he questioned Jesus on this. Eventually, Peter is persuaded and Jesus washes his feet too. And then after Jesus is done washing all the feet of his disciples, he sits down and explains to them what's going on in verse 12. 
says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So after washing everyone's feet, Jesus puts his outer clothes back on and sits back at the table, sits back down in the place of honor at the head of the table. And he proceeds to explain why he did this. He said, you call me teacher and Lord. Now, as he's going into this little explanation, you might expect Jesus to say something like, you guys have been calling me teacher and Lord, but you don't need to call me that. I'm just one of you. That's not what he says. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. He says, I am your teacher and Lord. Both of these titles were titles of the utmost respect. And Jesus is not shirking those titles. But instead, he says, for so I am. He acknowledges that he has a special place. But Jesus says, if I then your Lord and teacher, if that is truly who I am, if I really am this person that you respect enough to call me Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if I've done that, he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus ranks above his disciples. There's no question about that. There's no question about the fact that he has the authority. He's the one in charge. He came from heaven and he's going back to heaven. He deserves to be waited on hand and foot. He deserves to have every one of the disciples there that night to wash his feet and to bring him a bottle of water and anything else that he would need. Everything that they could do for him, he deserves. It would be fitting for them to wash his feet. And if Jesus, the one with all the rank and status, takes the lowly place of a servant, then so should his disciples. If he does it, then his disciples have no excuse but to do the same. By washing the, the feet of his disciples, Jesus made it clear that his followers do not play by the rules of this world. We do not avoid humiliating acts. We embrace them. In Mark 10, Jesus and his followers are on their way to Jerusalem. This is a little bit before this event in John 13. They're on their way from Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem for Jesus to be crucified in Mark 10. And on the way, Jesus has several times been explaining to them that he's going there to die. But they seem to have something else on their minds. James and John have come to Jesus and asked to sit on his right and left hand in his glory. They want to be given positions of authority in his kingdom. At this point, they're probably still imagining this physical kingdom. But nevertheless, they want to be the second and third in power in the kingdom when Jesus is crowned. 
authority, power, recognition. That's what they want. And then after Jesus basically tells them that they don't really know what they're talking about, that they're a little confused, his, the rest of the disciples get angry at James and John. You can imagine that kind of scene. You know, Two of the disciples try to put themselves above the rest of them. And so the rest of them are like, hey, James, John, what's that about? Come on, man. And so Jesus turns to all the disciples, and he says in Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus refers to the Gentile rulers and his response to the disciples. And, you know, we can think of different Gentile rulers at that time, and even in our own time, who let their authority go to their head and who abused their authority. You know, the, the Caesars of the time would have statues of themselves built up, and they required people to worship them and say prayers to them. And then they would put their face on the coins that they used for currency in the empire so that everybody's walking around and has in their pocket a reminder of who's in charge. They act in ways to ensure that they are always on top. But for followers of Jesus... The world doesn't work that way. You see, in the kingdom, the last are first. In the kingdom, the lowliest are the greatest. In the kingdom, it's the widow who gives her last pennies who is considered the greatest giver. In the kingdom, even the most menial tasks are dignified and holy if they are done for Christ's sake. Do you long for greatness? Do you want to be great? You know, there are a lot of people in this world who will freely tell you how you can become great. They will tell you that if you want greatness, it can be found by getting ahead. It can be found by the accumulation of money and of respect and of power. But Jesus is saying that if you truly want to become great, if you want to become truly great, you must grab a towel. Greatness is found in cleaning toilets and in changing diapers. It's found in taking out the trash and in giving someone a ride. These sorts of tasks that may seem menial to everyone else are what are great in the kingdom. The truth is that choosing to serve others may set us back in some ways. By serving, we may have less money to spend on ourselves. We may have less time to relax. We may lose respect from our peers. But Jesus assures us that despite what the world says, the way of service is the way up. Now, at first, living a life of service seems like something that would just crush us. 
to be told that for the rest of your life you need to be a servant sounds like something that's just going to diminish me and crush me into, into just non-existence. You know, service by its very nature is self-emptying. To serve someone is to empty yourself. You know, it sounds like being told that you have to, leave, you have to eat liver and onions at every meal for the rest of your life. You know, you could do it, but, I mean, imagine your life. It just sounds like it would be a horrible experience. And being told that you need to be a servant for the rest of your life sounds like it would be taking life away from us. It doesn't sound appealing. But Jesus says that we will be blessed by being servants. He says that we'll be blessed by being a servant. Going back to the scene where Jesus washed his feet, after he had explained the fact that this was an example for his disciples to follow, in verse 17, he said, if you know these things, talking about being a servant, he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do these things. Jesus was not trying to tear his disciples down by telling them to grab a towel and start washing feet. He was not telling them something that would result in a worse life. He was telling them something that would grant them freedom. He was telling them something that would grant them freedom. You see, we are the greatest obstacles that we face in following Jesus. I am the greatest obstacle that I face in doing the things that Jesus has commanded me to do. You know, it's so hard to do the things that, that Jesus has commanded us to do because we are so self-focused. We are so focused on our own wants and needs that it makes it nearly impossible for us to do the things that Jesus calls us to do. Our pride keeps our thoughts on our own needs and wants. Our selfishness stops us from considering what would be best for others. What we need is to be saved from ourselves. What we need is to break the control that selfishness has over us. So how do we do that? How do we overcome this problem? How do we find freedom from self? Through service. We find freedom from self by serving others. We beat back our pride by driving across town to help somebody move. We crush our selfishness by bringing a meal to somebody who's sick. What a blessing it would be to break the bonds of pride. What a blessing it would be to be free from the need to be well-respected and highly regarded by everybody else. What a blessing to not need others to think that you're smart or put together or holy what a blessing to be out of the spotlight and out from under the microscope. You see, when we build ourselves up, we get everybody's attention on us. But we feel such anxiety when everybody's looking at us and, and watching our every move. Salvation awaits for those who remove themselves from the place of honor, like Jesus in the upper room, and wash the feet of another. G.K. Chesterton wrote, we become taller when we bow. 
We become taller when we bow. And to do this, we need to find ways to serve in our everyday life. And if we find this hard, let's start with something small. Let's start with small ways to serve, small acts of service. When you mow your yard, if you mow your yard, you probably can relate to this experience. You typically will mow, you know, maybe starting at your driveway, and you, you go down further and further, and then you're very careful to mow right along your property line. Right? You mow just until the place where your property ends and your neighbor's property begins. Maybe mow one stripe of your, of your neighbor's yard, assuming that they would appreciate that, of course. You don't have to make a big deal about it. You don't have to tell them that you did it. Just do that. Or find some other small way to serve your neighbors, to serve the people around you. Something small to train you in the way of service. And even that small act of service will be a blow against the pride in your own heart. And when you do this, you don't seek to be recognized. If you are recognized, don't, don't dwell on it. In fact, if you find yourself desiring to be thanked and to be recognized when you serve, you should try for a while, serve only in hiddenness. Do hidden acts of service for people around you. Do things for others that there's no way they would know you did it. And by doing that, you will train yourself to not need to be recognized. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't really like letting people get ahead of me in line. So, for instance, if I'm driving to the post office to drive off a package, and you know when there's a long line in the post office, it can take a while to, to drop off your package. And so if I arrive to the post office and I'm getting in my parking spot and I look to the side and I see somebody else who's arrived at the same time, I'm real quick to get out of my car and run to the front door to get in line before them, right? Because, uh, of course, like it matters that much that I get in front of one person. But there's that attitude of me just instinctively wanting to be ahead of someone else. If you experience that kind of thing when you're driving around town or wherever you are, maybe the next time we do that, the next time we arrive somewhere at the same time as someone else and that instinct to get ahead hits us, maybe we just wait in the car. Wait until they're inside. And while you wait, say a prayer for them. Amen. We train ourselves in service to start putting others ahead of us. As Christians, we are called to serve like Jesus did. And, what, and that life of service ultimately leads to humility. But there's one more component of this that I want to talk about this morning. Before Jesus washed his disciples' feet, John reminded us of his love for the disciples. Remember that first verse that we read this morning, John 13 and 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Why did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? To set an example, yes. 
but he also did it because he loved them. He washed his disciples' feet. He, he humiliated himself because he loved his disciples. John tells us that he loved them to the end. You know, when Jesus got to the end of his life, he could have taken a few days just to enjoy himself. He knew he was about to die. He could have just taken a few days off. You know, when uh, inmates who are on death's row, before their end, they are often offered a last meal. And they're often told, you know, you can eat whatever you want. We'll come and bring that to you. And you can enjoy this last meal before you die. And people often dine extravagantly. They get all kinds of things brought to them so they can enjoy this for a minute. You might expect Jesus, in this last meal of his, to just let somebody else wash his feet. But he loved his disciples too much. He loved his disciples to the bitter end. And so he served them. How can we show love to the people around us? By serving them. You know, this is particularly important whenever the people around us don't trust that we have their best interest at heart. We live in a society that is increasingly antagonistic toward Christianity. And when we talk to people with whom we disagree, we may not really know what to say because we're afraid of offending someone, and, and sometimes we may say the wrong things. And sadly, there are many Christians who seem determined to prove everyone else wrong and to prove themselves right, no matter who it hurts or how much damage it does. The, the point is that though we need to maintain a voice in our society, we absolutely need to maintain a voice and proclaim the gospel in the darkness. We should consider serving those with whom we disagree. We should consider serving them. We may find that an act of selfless love will do more to convince someone than an airtight argument or a sarcastic comment. Because when we serve other people, we show them that we value them. We show them that we value their time and their needs above our own. You know, a, a Facebook comment claiming that you love someone can be quickly dismissed. But an act of self-emptying service won't be so quickly dismissed. Sometimes Jesus showed people he loved them by telling them. And at other times, he washed their feet. The thing that often gets in the way of us loving others is our own pride. Choosing to serve someone else enables us to get past our selfishness and truly love as Jesus loves. So why should you serve others? Well, you should serve others because Jesus served others. You should serve others because God took on human flesh and showed us that love requires self-emptying service. When Jesus 
was on this earth, he poured himself out. Like water being poured out from a cup, Jesus continually emptied himself while on this earth. When Jesus took off his outer garments, he poured a little of himself out. When he wrapped a servant's towel around his waist, he poured out more. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he emptied himself even more. And then when he died on the cross, he poured out the last few drops of self. The life of Jesus was a life of self-emptying service and all for the sake of love. Now we have one week until Dustin Gaskins is going to give us a new way that we can live like Jesus. We have seven days, seven days to think specifically on how we can serve like Jesus. And the next week, Dustin's going to talk to us about submission and sacrificing like Jesus. So until then, for the next seven days, use every day as an opportunity to serve. Every day, for the next seven days, find one person that you can serve in some small way. Maybe somebody at home that you live with, or somebody at your work, or at school, or a neighbor. Find one person that you can serve. And just ask them, there's just something I can do for you today. Or, if it would be better for you, serve them in some way. They'll never know. But find some small way to serve someone every day this week. And learn to be a little bit more like Jesus. If you want to learn to be like Jesus, you have to learn to serve like Jesus. And you won't always find that this is easy. But on the other end awaits humility and the freedom from self and the ability to finally fully love others. If we can help you in any way this morning, let's let you come as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com